Good morning. I did also want to welcome Dasha Karanaga. Did I pronounce that correctly? Probably added a little little extra flair there intentionally, but but uh, we're excited to have you here. Uh, and you're from Ukraine, correct? So we're happy to have you here as well. Has anybody here uh, heard of or familiar with the uh, the concept of the YouTube rabbit hole? The YouTube rabbit hole. Okay, I, I, judging from the, the chuckles here, a few people have gone down that rabbit hole and followed the white rabbit. And I've I've done it myself, and it's it's dangerous on YouTube um, because their 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 formulas are very good. So they have the recommendations on the side. You watch a video, and you're like, ooh, shiny. And you start clicking on other ones, right? And then those breed other ones, and they breed, and you can just see how quickly this spirals out of control. When you're studying a passage that's familiar like this, it spawns a lot of other passages that you want to talk about. And it very quickly became, at least for me, um, a desire to read a lot of passages. And so I hope you're okay with, we're just going to start at Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read the Bible today. Because there's a lot of truth in this passage of Scripture that, that uh, applies there. And, and I am going to read a few passages uh, this morning that are uh, not Titus chapter 2. Uh, and, and we're going to start in Romans first. Uh, and you don't have to turn to these. These are pretty familiar passages. But if you'd like to, Romans chapter 6 is the first passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 6, verse 10. For the death that he died, he being Christ... He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Ephesians chapter 2. Very familiar passage. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. It's a pretty bleak picture. But God... But God, thank God for but God in this passage of Scripture. But God who is rich in mercy because of His great, great love. The love that's talked about in chapter 3. Appreciation of mystery. I labeled it in my Bible as the axis of God's love. The height and the depth and the breadth of that love because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ 
Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The last passage of Scripture is Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, and that word right there makes you look back. You ask, what's, what's it there for? Chapter 3 is titled, Not Carnality, but Christ. You're a new, a new creation, a new man. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. If you want to see a practical application of that, look at the parable that the Lord Jesus spoke on, uh, and I believe it was Matthew 18, about the, the servant who was forgiven a, a great debt and then didn't do this. But above all things, put it on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then finally in Titus chapter 2, passage we're going to be focusing on today, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Another translation states it this way, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. The King James says his own peculiar people, or a peculiar people, Zealous for good works. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the opportunity we have to gather together and open Your Word together and study it and look at it and appreciate the truths that are in it, Lord. We thank You so much for this body of believers. I pray for each and every one of them here, myself included, Lord. I pray that You would open all our hearts this morning uh, to hear what You would have us to hear to take away from this passage of Scripture, to be reminded of uh, some very beautiful things about the gift of your Son and, and practical things about how to apply them in our lives, Lord. We thank you so much for your love, your Son, and your grace, all things that we did not deserve and you gave freely. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage of Scripture... Uh, is could, could be described as the perfect balance of doctrine with living. Um, and it is tied to the rest uh, of chapter 2. But it's one of those passages of Scripture that people often memorize. It's something that they enjoy, they appreciate. And you could actually take it, and I say this with fear and trembling, but you can take it out of context. 
uh, i.e., you can memorize it and quote it without giving reading the rest of Titus. Uh, and and a lot of the truth that is in that is is especially for those uh, people who have a basic understanding. There are some truths that can be found in this passage of scripture, and there are other there are other verses in the Bible that we would memorize and we would say without reading the entire. Right? And we usually don't say the entire uh, chapter of John three when we when we quote John three sixteen. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we can take something from that. We we can appreciate the fact that God loved the world enough to give His only begotten Son. Uh, or uh, you don't necessarily even have to, to have the context uh, in Revelation chapter 3 when the, the, the statement, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. To receive all of these things. And if there's not a tune running through your head right now, I, I, I can't help you anymore. But it does help to have context in a statement like that because you can have a greater, a greater appreciation for the fact that that was occurring. John was viewing that in the throne room of God and that, that adds to the, the passage of Scripture. And so too, in this particular passage of Scripture, it is tied to the rest of Titus. You can take it and you can appreciate it in and of itself, but, it, but as we study the Scriptures, it, it is uh, something that we should be doing is looking at the context of the passage of Scripture, especially when the first word in that particular verse is for which should cause us to look back and see what the context of that is. And as I was studying through these four verses, the first three verses, uh, I, I came up with an acronym. And I, I uh, out of necessity, have learned to speak in acronyms, both uh, professionally. Uh, if you know anything about the military, you've heard anybody speak in the military, uh, you, you get lost about five words in if they're really going full bore and saying things like PT, IPB, MDMP, MA, and you're like, whoa, 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 I don't have the context for this, and I don't understand a word. And then I also grew up in a generation that, that, that especially in college, AOL Instant Messenger started this, and then we really started to get into texting. And today's generation speaks the exact same way. But I'm lost when we get into those. I, I, get, I get lost after TTYL and, and LOL, and we get into some of the other ones, and I'm, it's over. But the point is, is acronyms are shortening uh, statements that, that um, help you to say bigger, bigger phrases and also to remember things. So I, I will never forget LOL stands for laugh out loud. I use it incorrectly all the time, but uh, I will never forget that. So the acronym I came up for this, pa- this particular passage, again, verses 11, 12, and 13 specifically, is AIR, A-I-R. An air is necessary for life. If we don't have air in this world, I can't, I can't breathe in and convert oxygen in my body and, and continue to sustain my life. life. Life goes away. And if you apply it to the spiritual body, the church, the, the spiritual body also needs uh, spiritual, if you will, spiritual air. Uh, to to live and to be successful uh, as as a body in Christ, and so A uh, verse eleven A is the appearance of grace, and that's in the past. That's a, the past tense in this particular passage. And then uh, chapter sorry verse twelve uh, the eye is the instruction of God, and that's in the present. That's occurring now, uh, and it could it, it has, has occurred in the past. It's occurring now, and it will continue to hopefully uh, continue in the future. And then the third one, uh, verse 13, is the response of the godly or the regard of the, the godly, and that's the future. It's happening in the present, but it's looking to the future. 
and that's how I broke down the first three verses. But if you if you're just coming in and um, um, this is the first uh, message you've heard in this uh, this walk through uh, Titus, the book of Titus, just to give you a very quick background, because this particular passage is tied to the rest of it. Titus was a young man who was left in Crete to establish a church there. And the Cretans were not known to be good people. In fact, they were described by their one of their contemporaries, a prophet, as always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul confirms that. He said, this testimony is true. So that is the society that this church is being established in. Where do you, we get the word Cretan, I think, from, if I'm not mistaken, from this, from the, the, the people of Crete, which is not a good term. And so there, he's working to establish this, and Paul, Paul laid out things that needed to occur. This was the, a business letter, as was said earlier. I need you to establish the leadership of the church. We need qualified elders. We need the infrastructure for this church, and they must do these things. Teach them this. And then once you've established that, you need to do this. In chapter 2, we've gone through that. That has the qualities of a sound church. But as for you, being Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And he's talking to the church here. And it's not just the men. It's not just the elders. It's not just the older men. He breaks it down. The older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women... He goes into uh, bond servants and slaves, which translated today today would generally speaking be the employee-employer relationship, as, as our brother Jack went through, specifically focused on your behavior as the employee. And so you go through all of these things, and then uh, and, and those would be essentially uh, the fact that godly living, he's establishing or laying out that godly living is demanded by the truth of God. And then he gets to verse 11, which would be the central aspect of God's truth, which demands godly living. Grace. For the grace of God has appeared that brings salvation to all men. For the grace of God. What is grace? Anyone? What is grace? Absolutely. Anyone else? Undeserved, unmerited, getting what you don't deserve. And here, in the language of this particular verse, I think there's a personification element to this. And it says it has appeared. What's something that we just celebrated? Well, I say just. It's March now, so a couple months ago. It's the incarnation. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the, the, the time when God became man, took on flesh. It was revealed uh, to all men. So this personification is focused on, I believe, Jesus. He has appeared and He brings salvation to all men. And before I go into that a little bit, I, I, I want to use an illustration. It's not a perfect one, um, but for salvation. So, Phil, I'm going to pick on you because you're standing up front, sitting up front here. Um, but uh, let's just say for the purpose of this illustration, Phil is secretly a very wealthy man. And he comes up to me at the end of this message in front of everybody. 
He says, Sean, out in the parking lot, there's a brand new Lamborghini. Does everybody know what a Lamborghini is? It's a really expensive car. Uh, the baseline model starts at about $200,000. I just bought this Lamborghini, drove it off the lot. Here's the keys. Thank you, by the way, Phil. Should. <laughs> should. <laughs> should I take it? Should I take that gift? You should. <laughs> I, that's exactly the response I expected. I should take that gift. Why wouldn't I? Well, I could come up with a few reasons. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't really want to stick out. Now, it was a couple, I can actually it was a couple couple weeks ago. I was driving down 129, and a Lamborghini drove by me. I remember that it stuck out. That is not a car you see on the road very often. I don't want to stick out. I don't want to be different. And you don't just stick out to the people that you're driving next to. I mean, I I, I would ask you, Joe, if if, if uh, you see a Lamborghini and a Honda Civic driving down the road, are you going to check the speed of the, the Honda Civic or the Lamborghini first? Lamborghini. Uh, so that was what I thought it would be. I, I would generally speaking say you're going to get attention. And I don't want that attention. So I don't want that gift. I can't afford the insurance on a Lamborghini. I can't handle the power of that car. Th these are all reasons that I could come up with. But I, I guarantee you, every one of you in the audience would still say, Sean, take the Lamborghini. It's free. And the reason that I bring that up is I think that's an easy-to-understand concept. The Lamborghini, not necessarily that we would ever be offered a free one, but the value of salvation extended to mankind is of infinitely greater value than a $200,000 car. And it's extended in the same way. It's free. We can't do anything to earn it. And it was a gift because of the love that God had for us. He loved me enough to send his son to die. And if you think about salvation at the macro level, like why was it necessary? Well, sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden. We, we, we learn in Genesis and we read it again in, in Romans. For by one man sin entered the world. And what came after it? Death. And not just physical death, although it was an aspect of it, but also spiritual death. And when God established His law to illustrate that we cannot ever meet the standard by ourselves, then He established the blood sacrifices. He said, look, sin, again in Romans, we've all sinned, first of all, and we have the standard to show us that we've all sinned, and we'll fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Something has to die. Blood has to be shed to atone for this sin. And so all the blood sacrifices were established in order that there would be a stand-in sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we see the futility, if you will, or I should say the the these the 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 lasting nature of Jesus' sacrifice versus uh, the temporal nature of 
uh, the sacrifices of priests in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 11, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That concept of once for all and the justice of God was satisfied. And we're told, Peter and John, when they were arrested in Acts chapter 4, they said this, salvation is found in no one else. You cannot get to heaven any other way but, but Jesus Christ. And as he's writing to Titus, and this would have been translated or sent to the, the, the people as well, or read to the people as well, for the grace of God has appeared. Jesus Christ has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And I, I, I cannot assume ever that everyone is saved here. I would love that if that was true. But I beg you, if you have not made this decision today, if you have not acted on this, please make that decision today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. And all of the things that we can come up with, I can think of excuses. I've heard excuses for not accepting this. They're all lies of the devil. I've got time. We don't know. I, I, could, I could have a heart attack right now. I hope I don't, but I, I could. And the point is, is I don't know what my next breath is going to be. And so to, to, to use that as justification for not accepting now, it's a lie. We don't know. Or I'm not good enough. I've heard that one before. God wouldn't want me. I'm not good enough. I deserve hell. Well, you're halfway there. You understand that you are a sinner. And who wrote this book? Paul. Everybody knows the story of Paul, right? Used to be Saul. What was he going around doing? Killing Christians. And taking delight in it. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was hunting and killing early Christians. And then Jesus intervened in a miraculous way and asked Saul directly, why are you persecuting and Saul became Paul, and we know the rest. wrote a lot of books in the New Testament and was a giant in the early church. But if he can be saved, and he murdered people, he sought to kill people, we can too. And so I beg you, don't listen to all of the lies of the devil. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today is the day of salvation, and do not leave here today without talking to somebody you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So I didn't want to move on from verse 11 without talking about that great salvation and how great a salvation it truly is. And even to be reminded as, as, as Christians, it's never a bad thing to hear about the salvation message. It's a beautiful thing. It's something we should never, ever, ever lose sight of and never, ever, ever 
Be unthankful for. And one of the things I, I read in a couple of the commentaries is really this concept in these, these passages. And these are relatively simple concepts. But he, he kept saying, the Christian who fully understands. The Christian who fully understands. So I think, again, hearing the salvation message and fully understanding and internalizing it should cause something to happen. I, you know, I said that this is the free gift of salvation. It is. It's free. But after you accept it, there's something else that's now expected of you. Because salvation is not just uh, a removal of the punishment of sin. God did so much more for us through Christ. It's, it's, it's found uh, later in Titus uh, when we talk about being heirs. Uh, heirs of grace. It's in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, and I will add, and daughters, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. We are adopted into His family. And I don't know about you, uh, but my father, growing up, had some expectations of me as his son. I was a representative, whether I liked it or not, whether I wanted to be or not, I was a representative of James Fullett. And there were expectations uh, of me as his son that I had to follow. And if we consider the fact that we, having accepted that, are now adopted, and we're heirs, and we are sons and daughters of God... There are now expectations of, of, of behavior, if you will. We talked about it, it that, that godly living is demanded by God's truth. But we have help in that. So air was the appearance of grace, which was in the past. I is the instruction of God. The grace of God teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And this is a summation of everything else he's been talking about in chapter 2, really. If you go through uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, a lot of that is found or summed up in those three words. So don't do these two things, but do these three things. And I think that one of the reasons why that's 2, verses 3, is because you can make the argument several ways. One, when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, there is no spiritual aspect of it. And so there are only two things that we're uh, really not to do. Uh, Or... When we act upon sin and we act like the world, again, talking about uh, Cretans being described as evil beasts. Evil beasts act on instinct. They don't think about what they're going to do. And so now there's only two things that you must deny, which is ungodliness and worldly lusts. And we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Soberly being uh, the mind looking inward, uh, righteously being the body, which is an outward manifestation of that, uh, and godly being the soul, 
which you could say is both inward and upward. It's our relationship with the Savior as we seek to become more Christ-like. It can be summed up this way, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And as we again begin to fully understand, more fully understand, how great a salvation it is, our actions should begin to reflect our belief. You know, if, if, if I believe something or if I accept something, at some point I'm going to have to do something about it. And when you really accept what salvation is, you have to do something with it. I have to do something with that information and knowledge. And we're called to live this way. We're called to really give our all, our mind, our bodies, and our souls. You know, just, you think about the song, ah. Uh, there's a hymn that, that, that the concept is, is, oh, I surrender all. That's what I was trying to think of. It's easy to honestly kind of make fun of that song a little bit because when you look at it, it's sad because the reason that it can be made fun of is because I say generally speaking, when you look in the church, and I say the church collectively as a whole, not many people actually surrender all. And so the words of that hymn should probably be, I surrender some. Giving our all, surrendering our all. And that's hard. It's not easy to do. I, I, I'm not saying any of this. It's really, truly easy to actually practice. You know, there's a story about a, a fundraiser that was occurring at a church. And uh, they're seeking to raise these funds for uh, either a ministry or the church building itself. And the pastor uh, is inviting people up to give testimonies. And, and this very wealthy man in town uh, stands up and he begins to relate this story about how many years ago before he, became, he was a wealthy man, uh, he was sitting in the very same pews that everyone else in the church was. And he was down to his last dollar. That's all he had left. He had a dollar in his pocket. And he said, and I was in the exact same situation at a fundraiser, and I gave everything. I put that dollar in the, in the plate, and I gave my all. And the Lord's blessed me for that. And from the back, a little old lady shouts, I dare you to do it again! <laughs> it's, it's not easy to live this way, to live soberly, righteously, and godly, and to give your all. But that's what we're called to. And we are, again, helped. We're taught. And how are we taught? I would say through the Scriptures, predominantly. The Holy Spirit led people to write the words that are in the Bible, in the book of life. Jesus' words are recorded in Scripture. Jesus Himself, that personification of grace, and the Holy Spirit also works in us. Now, when I was studying this message, uh, the way I think is probably different from the way many of you think, and it's definitely in many respects different than the way my wife thinks. And so when I was talking to her about this message, um, I asked her a few questions um, that illustrate the way I think. And the reason I bring this up here is, is, is this is really, in many respects, uh, sanctification, the movement uh, walk towards uh, becoming more Christ-like as we seek to live uh, soberly, righteously, and godly. Um, and I get tripped up often in, my, in, in that process because my focus tends to be very much on me, my actions. Which is important because at the end of the day, I did ask my wife, what, to what degree are we responsible for our actions? Do you think, honey? 100%? 75%? 50%? 18%? 
And the answer she gave was 100%, which I agree with. We are, I, I think we are held responsible for our own actions. But can we get to this standard by ourselves? So then the next question for me logically was, so if, if you had to describe, uh, or if I describe myself as a car, my life is a car, who's driving? Is it me? Is it Jesus? Is it a combination? Is it nobody? And that's the, I think the way I think is, and I tend to, I tend to be the one with the death grip on the steering wheel and I don't even pay attention to who should be sitting next to me. To give you the context, my wife's explanation, I liked it, was that Jesus is like the driver's ed person. He's sitting in the passenger seat next to you and he's got a steering wheel in front of him too and he's got brakes and he's got, a, he's got everything you've got, but he's teaching you and guiding you and directing you and occasionally he's slamming on the brakes or he's taking the wheel. But where I get tripped up often is, is, again, it's focused on me. And I can do it by myself. Or if I don't do it by myself, oh, I beat myself up real bad. And then I, it just becomes a cycle. Well, I, I can do it again. I can do it again. I talk myself into it. I can do it again. And I can't. And so I, I think one thing I want to stress in this particular piece is, is the teaching us that. That's coming from God. And we need his help to do this. We are responsible for our actions. We are responsible for doing it. But we need God's help in order to actually live soberly, righteously, and godly. And then verse 13, uh, the response of the godly or the regard of the godly, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's happening in the now. It's looking toward the future. And it's an active The word looking doesn't denote that I'm passively sitting here, twiddling my thumbs, occasionally thinking about it. This is a focus. This is what I am focused on. I am focused on the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what I long for. That's what I look for. That's my focus. And really, I think the takeaway from this is we are not loving the world when we're doing that. To be reminded that we are aliens we are um, people traveling through this world, and we're in this world, but not of this world. Our home is not here. And sometimes I think, and I, I know I do it, you tend to kind of make it your home a little bit. And it's not. The, the, the focus of, of the believer is the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord. When he comes back for his church, what a day of rejoicing. That's going to be. A picture of the bride and the bridegroom. The reuniting of the church and God. And I don't know about anyone here who's been married, but I was pretty excited when I was standing in the aisle and my wife walked around and I, I could see the bride. That was a joyous day for me. And I hope it was a joyous day for my wife. No, it was, it was a joyous day for both of us. And the bride was looking with anticipation for the bridegroom. And that, that's the picture that we should have here. Is that's what we look for. That's what we long for. And there's another passage of Scripture that also denotes we are to be looking towards something else. Anyone think of a passage? I thought of Hebrews chapter 12. When you describe life as a, as a run, 
the race of faith. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. When you run a race, the focus should be on the goal. If you're running a marathon, you can't necessarily see the goal, but in your mind, your mind's eye, that focus is on the goal. I'm not looking up in the crowd. I'm not looking down at my feet. I'm not looking for a good place to stop. I'm looking at the goal, the prize, the end. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what we are longing for. That's what we're looking for. And it's a reminder that we are not home yet. So don't make this your home. It's a reminder to me. And then we have the purpose of the atonement. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, peculiar people, zealous for good works. That is the purpose of atonement. He wanted to purify for himself a special people, a peculiar people, people who look different, act different, represent him on earth, and zealous for good works. We read that, uh, something similar in Ephesians chapter uh, two, when it says we are his workmanship, his poem created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we are called, our response, I should say, it should be to a full understanding of how deep the love of God was that drove, uh, and how, how great the sacrifice of Christ was. Our response should be, Godly living. We should look different. And we need the Lord's help. We do that. So for me, the takeaways in this particular passage of Scripture are understanding, seeking to, continuing to seek to, fully understand, even though I don't think we'll ever plumb the depths of the love of God. There's a hymn writer that wrote a a verse, verse 3, that illustrates that I don't even think we can truly fully understand how deep, how great that love is. We would think the ocean fill, and where the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole that was stretched from sky to sky. But we need to continue to study it and to appreciate it. And as we continue, to, our understanding deepens. So to our actions, I think, will hopefully change. I mean, we can choose to ignore I believe, uh, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're told not to. It's a really bad idea. I once heard a, a uh, illustration of, of the constant conflict, and it's still there. Uh, sin no longer has a dominion over us, but that does not mean that we're never going to sin again. It just means that a pow- its power over us has been broken. And now we are provided a way of escape through the, the interaction of Jesus Christ. But we have two dogs, if you will, inside of us. You have the dog that represents sin, and you have the dog that represents Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And whatever dog you feed is going to be the dog that's strongest in your life. And will eventually, if, if you think about, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody that has like a, a Neapolitan Mastiff or a, a giant animal on a leash. 
they're getting jerked around. They, they don't have real control on that dog. That dog has control. And so if you think about that as a picture and you feed, if I feed sin in my life, and I allow it, and that's the, sad, the saddest thing to see, is that dominion over you has been broken and we reestablish it. We give it control again. And that, that dog, if you will, now has control of my life. I am letting myself be led by this aspect of myself versus if you, if you feed, again, this is a perfect analogy, but if you feed the other aspect, the other dog, uh, and allow Jesus Christ to, to, to have dominion in your life and to have control and you give up, up to him and you spend your time uh, with him, then he will be the one that has dominion in your life. And that's the goal. And so I would encourage everyone here, A, be open to the instruction of the Holy Spirit. A, I should say, A, if, you're, if you've not accepted Christ, I'm going to go back and hit that again. Please, don't leave here without resolving that issue first. But even as Christians, be appreciative. Never, ever lose sight of the fact that we need to be appreciative of that. And secondly, uh, as we seek to live soberly, righteously, and godly, we're called to that. Be open to the instruction of the Holy Spirit. And part of the way that he does that is ground yourselves in the Word. Read the Word. And then not to make this, even though it's a temptation, not to make this world your home. Look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of, your, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Because of what he did for us. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And purify for himself his own peculiar people. Zealous for good works. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the grace of God appearing. For Jesus Christ's willingness to come to this earth. For your willingness to send Jesus Christ to this earth to die on our behalf, Lord. That sacrifice that was good enough once for all, Lord. And I pray that we would never lose sight of how precious that is. We would continue to live lives that are thankful as it said in Colossians, in everything that we do, give thanks. Lord, I pray that as, as we leave here and we go to, to our daily lives, Lord, that you would help us because it's not easy. That you would help us to allow you to have control in our lives. Lord, help us to live this way soberly, righteously and godly lives so that others will see us and see that something is different about us and different in a good way and that we would be good representatives on this earth, Lord. We thank you once again for your love, your son, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.